You're listening to The Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next hour we're going to be talking about all things tech. I'm joined by my fellow presenters Russ Shaw of Global Tech Advocates. Happy New Year to you Russ. Happy New Year Sue, great to see you. Yes, you're looking very fit and healthy. And uh, Sarah Luxford of Tech London Advocates. Hi there Sarah. Hello, good afternoon. Mm. We're joined by great people in the studio as usual of course uh tom lipinski and dana cavell of qbots and we're going to learn all about qbots later on and also alina bezuglova of rutech ventures welcome thank you very much for having me here that's all right that's all right um before we go on to you alina and talking about sort of the russian you know sort of representation in tech um have you got any uh, predictions russ for 2018 particularly at a sort of country level let me talk about russia here yeah and, i mean you've been globe trotting the whole of 2017 and i don't think that will stop for 2018 yeah. are there any sort of countries or areas that you're you know you're really impressed by at the moment and and and, and think they're going to do interesting things for yeah, 2018 I think, I think as i look at i mean i was in china at the end of last year we launched tech shanghai advocates and uh for me, China just continues to loom large, particularly in areas like artificial intelligence. I mean, I've been reading some reports that really show how the U.S. and China are going to be very dominant in that whole space because of the huge tech giants that are in both countries and the massive data sets that they have at their disposal. So, so, so what you're saying is they're developing that technology because it underpins the other things that they really want to move forward with yes and many of them have enormous databases of customers and data that's flowing mm. through that uh, they can work on and use and leverage and in a very interesting way um, i think fintech is going to continue to expand i think bringing it back to the uk i think we're going to see one or two interesting ipos this year of some fintech companies mm. my prediction um, and you know everybody's focused on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, I think it's going to be an incredibly volatile year in that regard. And um, I'm probably one of those people saying the party can't last forever. Well, I'm, I'm with you, but, and I think it's because I don't understand it. Yeah, and I think... I, think I, I don't I'm, understand how you... I don't, I don't get it. Just, well, I think it's, it's massive speculation, and yeah. I think we're going to see uh, some serious fallout from that, which in turn will drive greater regulation. I think eventually we'll get to having digital mm. assets that people will want to engage with. But I think it's going to be a very topsy-turvy year in that regard. Um, I look at, I'm off to um, Colombia in March, where we launched Tech Bogota Advocates. And I keep hearing interesting you're, you're things. You're going to call that Tech Bog? Tech Bog, TBA. <laughs> <laughs> Probably won't be Tech Bog, will it, no? And so what happens here, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, Chile are all doing some interesting things. You know, nothing necessarily on the scale that we see across Europe, China, India, or North America. But I think in their own interesting way, they're doing some good things. They've got great entrepreneurs building and developing good businesses. Um, I, I mean, think I, I, see, sorry, I, I see some interesting things from Africa, too. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to um, China, so I can't mm. in my head sort of, you know, visualise what's going on. Um, I always think of it as being either rural or very, you know, sort of production orientated in, mm. in tangible physical goods. Yes. Um, but you're excited by, there's a lot of tech stuff going on too. Oh, hugely. And I think on the services side as well. I mean, mm. you have some massive tech businesses like Alibaba and Tencent. And if you look at 
the whole payments area, for example. You know, we talk about fintech and tapping our phones and, and contactless cards. I, I keep hearing that actually currency in China will go away fairly soon because literally as long as you've got your WeChat, WeChat app, which is like WhatsApp, you can just pay for anything. And in fact, a couple of times I had difficulty using RMB, Chinese cash, when I was there, people wanted you to use the WeChat app. And I do have WeChat, but I don't have it linked to my bank account because I'm a Westerner. So I, I've just come back from America. I'm stunned at the ridiculous payment thing. You it can, is like something out of the 1950s. It is. It is. You, you still to, write you have have checks have to have a pen. You have to have yes. a pen. So what they do is they... I can't believe this. And this is in like Seattle or San Francisco. And chip and pin has only just come into fruition there in the past. I couldn't use mine months. at all. Really? There wasn't anywhere to use it. No. And 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 it just they just say you can't tap. Well, I don't know what that means. Oh right, can't do chip and pin. But but actually they give you a piece of paper that you have to sign. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's in America. I know. They need I to know. they need to get a wiggle on with that. They do. I mean, I hope that they will leapfrog back over what's yeah. been developing. I mean, the Chinese have leapfrogged enormously in but, so many areas, and, and good for them. And, and it and, sounds bizarre though, that China's way ahead of America in that respect. I mean, way ahead. I know. Mm. I know. But 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 they are. And I think you know I think that bodes well for China when you look at things like artificial intelligence. I think America is going to certainly, and many of the tech giants in America are going to be very very active in AI, in machine learning, in robotics, but but the Chinese will be as well. And I guess mm -hmm. that begs the question, what happens to everyone else? What happens as these AI jobs, uh, AI capabilities take over more of the basic jobs that are out there? What kinds of jobs are we going to need in the future, yeah. both in the tech space, but also not in tech as well? And what mm. does that mean for us? And, and, and Sarah, and from your perspective, you know, with your background, if, if there is going to be this huge push on AI, and that's what we're hearing all the time, isn't it? Mm. You know, where are all those skills going to come from? You know, who, who's going to do those, those development jobs? It's a really good question, Sue. I mean, I think we're, we're so behind here in the UK still in terms of digital skills. It's getting better, however. Um, there's concerted efforts, particularly with fantastic organisations like the Stamets and mm -hmm. um, Digital Shippital and, um, and obviously Code Girls First. Um, in fact, they've got a fantastic new project at the moment called Code 2020, and they're trying to get essentially 2020 girls signed up to... Um, to be able to code it's a fantastic initiative so I'm hopeful um, certainly uh, but I think it I think it's the the question of um, the unknown people don't really quite understand how this, it this works. This is a global and issue so if, if you know if China's developing AI in a big way and so is America and we're China as well I mean these this is global talent that's going to be you know touted and, and, and wanted because there's going to be a gap for everybody surely. There will be, and then there will be, uh, as the always... poor relation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but I, I, I guess I maybe would challenge this a little bit, because we do need to have access to global talent, and as we all know, we're pushing very hard to make that happen. But I do think, and we'll see, time will tell, I do think the government really understands the need for digital skills. I've been getting mm -hmm. involved with uh, the Digital Skills Partnership led by the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, there's the Tech Talent Charter that was launched with government backing, um, going into a House of Lords Select Committee in a couple of weeks to talk about what secondary schools, colleges, and universities should be doing in terms of making sure that young people, when they, when they graduate, have at least some level of digital skill base. Because 
we need to turn to a lot of these folks to say these are the jobs of the future. So my sense is that there's an understanding that that needs to happen. How quickly? So you don't have to win that argument. Is no, it I don't think so. Exactly. It's I don't like, think... well, okay, how do we do it then, chaps? And yeah. my message, just backing up what Sarah's been talking about to, to government ministers, is don't recreate the wheel. There are many great initiatives, Women Shift Digital, Code mm -hmm. First Girls, Teen Tech, you name it, that are out there doing this. Get behind those. And the Digital Skills Partnership seems to understand that Good. as part of their mission and we'll get behind this and the message is let's go into areas that feel cut off that feel left behind because there's lots of people out there that need to be skilled mm -hmm. up and who want to be skilled up in these areas so how do we match that demand and supply is the key part of this mm -hmm. effort well, so those are the predictions from Rush Shaw uh, for 2018. We'll revisit those in 2019, see if you're right. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> um, Alina, uh, Rude Tech Ventures, I mean, you started that in late 2016, uh, and it, it's, it was sort of mission to accelerate the growth of Russian-speaking tech. Why did you feel that you, ha you know, had to be on a mission to do this? Is, it, it was, describe at the moment what the sort of Russian tech scene is and, and you know, where, where you think it's going. Sure. Well, um, first of all, uh, I think Russian tech scene is still at the very early stage. So there was a recent um, venture capital report for the 2017, and uh, there was a number of investments invested into tech startups this year, and it's marginally less than the UK record um, investment figure. However, it still has um, great potential. The reason why it's underestimated in the whole world is because for obvious reasons, um, startups themselves, they don't want to position themselves as the Russian founders. They don't want to mention in their PR stories that... Well, you, you said for obvious reasons. What are those reasons, though? Those are political and economic reasons. Yeah. I don't want to go into the details. However, that's true. It does have an impact on the startups coming from that region. So, so what you're saying, then, is that there is a, there is a negative, um, let's say, image... Or, or perception. What Russia is perception, whether it's true or not, is, is, is neither here nor there. But it, there's yeah. a sort of media perpetuated urban myth of, of what Russia is and, and, and Russian, you know, technology and industry. Um, and that's making startups afraid to associate themselves with it. Um, is, that, is that what you're saying? I'm not exactly. saying that's your point of view. I'm saying that that's, that's their perception. It is. It is the general perception in the mm. public. Also, when you talk to the um, foreign investors, usually the answer you hear from them is that, oh, sorry, we don't invest into Russia. But when you start breaking it down, it actually means you don't invest into the Russian entity. However, they're still very happy to consider Russian founders, teams coming from Russia, because for... Um, engineering and development skills everyone still does uh, respect and um well take it um take it with great um well, opportunity everything that comes engineering wise um, mm. from russia and so do you think that that, that, that that are there good tech skills in russia or are they trying to catch up i think they are because universities generally were the producers of those tech skills and unlike here or rest of western world our incubators and accelerators are formed around universities so you can get uh, tech great tech talent from across the whole country the challenge is how do you bring business skills to those remote regions and how do you find those talents in those remote regions it's not as easy to travel across the whole country i mean it's massive yeah 
sure. And and are are young people who are, are are you know developing these digital skills coming out of universities are they staying in Russia or are, are they moving out of Russia? You know, is that an issue? Well, there is a brain drain issue that many are scared of. I see more and more um, investment funds popping up in the country. I see more um, international investments coming to the region. So from the last year, we saw about 22% of international investments being made into the Russian companies. I think with more initiatives like TLA Russia, where we can um, send the positive image of the country, of the startups coming from the, uh, from the country, then those startups will be less scared to promote themselves as Russian founders mm. and be more um, well, proud, I guess, to, to be called Russian startups. And this is what we are um, aiming to do in 2018. So so just explain what Rutech Ventures is then, you know, why you're on a mission yeah. so, and, and the sorts of practical things you're trying to do. Well, a bit of background before I yeah, jump into answering good. this question. So I've been in London for two years and in the UK for about six years. And uh, the past uh, two years, I worked in the accelerators as the head of marketing, putting together programs and being actively involved in the startup scene. I've seen many international delegations coming to London, whether it will be um, Korean startups, Italian, you name it. However, I haven't seen anything associated with Russia. And it was quite sad. There were plenty of business events, right? Uh, networking events, mm. but nothing about innovation tech, seeing Russian startups, seeing Russia as, you know, um, kind of really breaking through in the technology space. And so I thought at the back of my head that I was aware that TLA community existed because having worked at Mass Challenge Central Research Lab, we collaborated with TLA, um, but just as an organization in general. And I saw a gap um, in country country groups that no, nobody was uh, covering that region. And that's when I approached Ross and I said, well, I would like to take care of that. And immediately uh, Ross put me in touch with Guy Wilner, who is a co-founder of TLA Russia, who couldn't be here today, but you know, I'm going to be talking on his behalf as well. And um, late December, well, November, December last year, we decided that it's going to be great to pull forces together and promote Russia on this global scale. And for me, it was very important to hear that from a non-Russian person. And uh, Guy is a successful serial entrepreneur. Uh, he runs a company called iAccelerate. It's a data center business in Moscow, one of the largest there. And they just recently signed up more um, Chinese uh, companies, large uh, Chinese cloud player. And he sees Moscow and Russia in particular um, being that center between West and East as a connector. As a bridge, yeah. Yes. Um, your views, are, I have no views um, oh, because, I'm, because I'm not connected at all. Oh, I'm uh, fully aligned with what yeah. Alina is saying. And, um, you know, we met uh, gosh, about a year and a half ago and I've known Guy for quite some time. And we launched the TLA Russia group, gosh, was it? In, oh, March, in March this year, yes. There were 85 to 90 people. In yes. <laughs> it was incredible in terms of the caliber, the skill set, the entrepreneurial spirit that was in the room. So that was validation for me. But prior to that, I first went to Moscow in 2009 when I was working for Skype. And um, we did a partnership with Yandex, which is a huge Russian very successful company that, that does compete with Google on search. So I saw firsthand 
some of the fault leadership there. I'd met a number of other businesses that were looking at 4G capability at the time. Um, you know, you've got companies like Kaspersky. There's a little bit of a cloud over them at the moment in light of the geopolitical situation, but they're on my, my laptop. They, they produce great software. So there, there is a really, to one other point mm. to back up Alina, if you look at the talent pool that is in Russia and that has come here from Russia in terms of not only being great entrepreneurs, but understanding data, cyber, um, how to set up businesses, unleashing that potential is enormous. And I think, unfortunately, the broader geopolitical environment at the moment is not incredibly conducive to that. But there are people like Guy and like Alina who are looking at this and saying, there are things that we can do to make this work and showcase the great capability that comes from Russian entrepreneurs. But what do you do when the media, uh, you know, is, is so intent on, on peddling a very, it's a very sort of clear picture or image of Russia. Mm. Um, now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but, but they, 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 they seem very, con, you know, very content on, on having this sort of image of, of, of Russia, you know, meddling in American politics and doing this and doing that. And, uh, and it's always painting just one side of Russia all the time, it feels, in the media. Yeah, and they do. And I mean, and because it's, it's part of a broader political discussion, especially with what's going on with the Trump administration at the moment, um, do, that's do, not do you going mean away. That, do you mean that stable genius? No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that, that man, that stable genius. Yes, man. That, yeah. that's the one. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think as long as that keeps going, there's, there's going to be that noise. And I do think, you know, for what people like Alina and Guy and others are trying to do, it is unfortunate because there are a lot of really good, really hardworking, ethical business leaders in Russia, from Russia, who have great skills and enormous mm. skills. I mean, the universities in Russia produce wonderful graduates. And uh, you're going to do sort of collaboration programs and stuff like that to, to you know, try and, um, you know, try and help that along. Have you got uh, any thoughts there? Yes, I was just going to add a little bit um, to the debate. There's more than just a media witch hunt going around Russian businesses. I mean... There is an issue of legal ownership mm-hmm. in Russia, and we still have to see the outcome of Hermitage Capital investigation playing out in, in Congress. There are Tom, Tom can you just give us a bit more background in that for anybody who doesn't know what you're talking um, about? Well, <coughs> the, that case was obviously quite, quite noisy a few years back when we had people killed in Russia that were investigating um, effectively um, appropriation of businesses by Russian state. Um, this is still playing out. The investigation is ongoing. The investigation is in, in American Congress. And what we're hearing, what's going on in Russia, with regards to the legal ownership of businesses, is scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons that investors will not invest in Russian businesses. So one way of overcoming that is to get the talent from Russia into countries with stable legal rules. Rillable. Yep. And and we can invest in them in in UK where they can actually flourish mm-hmm. under a reasonably normal state conditions, right? But while we're still awaiting the news of what's been going on, what actually took place, right? How companies change hands mm-hmm. in Russia without investors having any influence over that, people are going to be scared of this. Hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, that's quite a damning. 
picture you're painting there, Tom? Well, that's a very fair point, and that's true. There are many companies that leave Russia uh, to set up legal entities elsewhere. However, they do keep R&D in Russia. They keep uh, many, many teams there. And um, I think the more we can talk about these issues, again, not being uh, government-led, uh, those talks, but raised by independent organizations like Rutec, like TLA Russia, then I think we can A, bring um, attention to these issues, not only uh, globally, but in the country itself, and also still not undervalue the the tech, the talent, the businesses themselves, mm -hmm. because teams are great, and then they're building these global products. I hope to believe that tech can be something this um, independent ground as art and music where it doesn't matter where you come from it's the tech that we're talking about and it's respected it, yes yeah. and yeah. innovation for the benefit of the overall world not just one particular country mm. but investment's about risk isn't it you know and if you are going to make an investment it's about making sure that investment is, le is the least risky you can manage to make it um, and, and Tom's point is if, if you're not sure and, and you feel that's a risk you're not going to put your money there Oh, and I agree with that. I mean, you know, investors always look at and evaluate market uncertainty. And we've talked about that here with respect to Brexit and the degree of market uncertainty that that's creating. Obviously, the situation in Russia is very different and we have to be very mindful of that. And I think my view is, look, these things don't always stay as is. Uh, I don't expect the climate in Russia to stay like it is forever. Um, and in the meantime, if we can showcase that, look, there are really good people there with great skills, great capabilities, if they're working here or in other parts of the world, let's do that. Yeah. Because governments come and governments go. And we, you know, we hope that there will be change in Russia. We hope that there will be change in the U.S. in terms of the current administration and the climate that they're, they're creating so that ultimately we can get back to saying, look, this is about innovation. This is about creativity. And many of the people that I've met from Russia, particularly who are here, bring enormous skills to the table, incredible insight. Um, I've seen it in Techland and Advocates. I saw it at Skype. I've seen it at previous companies. And I think Alina and I and Guy and others are largely aligned to say, look, the broader political noise is there, but let's remind people that there are great people mm -hmm. who are doing great things with great skills who are not necessarily part of that political noise. And I personally don't want to see them tainted by Absolutely. some negative piece that we see high up when I can turn around and say, but they're wonderful people at ground level yeah, doing sure. great things. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the, um, global tech advocates for me is that you've got all these different countries uh, and people, you know, having amazing digital skills. Mm. If they're not in those countries and we, we, we melt them all into a London base or Silicon Valley, you will lose a very um, distinct insight or perspective or way of doing something. Yes. And, you know, if we look at it as a global community as opposed to a country community, um, we want people to be developing their stuff inside their country because as a, as a whole pot, um, it's going to be wider and more interesting and better and more diverse. Yes. And we're going we're to solve more of our pressing social issues and all sorts of other things. Yes. So for me, whilst it's, you know, we might have people in Russia who've got great skills, they're going to come to London because they think they can get further. I, w I want them to be in Russia because actually, if we can if we can create the right type of um, you know 
working thing for them or, and, and background environment, then they're going to make much more of a contribution than coming over here and ending up doing everything like a London person would do it, yes. if, you, if you see what I mean. And I think I look at this as kind of from both angles. You know, having some in London is great. And yep. if they're connecting back into Moscow, yep. St. Petersburg, that's great. And I've, I've actually had this discussion when I was in Shanghai in October around overseas students. My frustration is our, our British government is, is very eager to send overseas students back to their home markets too quickly. And I've gone on record a number of times saying, don't do that. Why? Because I would like some of those students, if they want to stay here, to set up their businesses here, and they will then trade and connect back into their home markets, whether it's China, India, Russia, uh, the US, wherever it is. And it's those corridors of business connections that I think are really powerful. And I see it happening a lot more now with China. I'm starting to see it with India. I have not yet seen it as much with Russia, but that could potentially change over time as the political environment allows that to change. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to add something. In fact, we have been running a number of events in Moscow where we would promote different international markets for the companies. Because at the moment there is this uh, very um, popular notion that the US Silicon Valley is the only place to go for startups and that's so untrue because mm, so untrue don't anybody listening to that don't <laughs> believe it don't believe it but you will be surprised how mm. um, I mean we work with DAT UK back Moscow office and you'll be surprised how many people are not aware of the tech nation visa scheme right or any graduate uh, entrepreneurship schemes or you know, all, all sorts of other things. So one of our missions is to promote these different opportunities for the local startups. Another one is we're expanding a little bit outside of Russia and we're looking at Belarus as well because these two countries, they share similar values, um, similar economy as well. And we are hosting, have, haven't been announced yet, but next month uh, we're hosting a delegation of eight Belarusian startups here in London. And that's been in partnership with UK Embassy in Belarus and local um, accelerators there. And also following this year, um, we're going to be doing a conference in Minsk in Belarus, where we will be showcasing the whole um, innovation coming from that region and trying to and bring more international investors and experts into the region because part of what we do is not only to speak about Russia here in London but also how can we um, build the collaboration between the regions and that's the most important thing and that's also what Russia lacks at the moment Russia Belarus the whole region is access to the international uh, expertise because yes we do have great tech um, engineers tech talent but most of the time we lack business acumen we need some um, successful case uh, case studies of um, people doing great businesses and we need them not only on TV or uh, radio podcasts but also face to face and also the thing with the um, conference that I mentioned, um, what we're trying to do is bring not only international speakers, because that's more than enough in the region, right? We, we have great conferences and events happening there. I think it's absolutely beautiful for inspiration, but it's the ordinary people that attend these events. The, uh, these are the people that you do business with. And these are the types of people we are trying to bring in the region. You know, we, we hosted an event with DAT in Moscow where um, British British entrepreneur is doing a business in Russia. Um, 
it's related to construction, road construction. And he was sharing the differences between uh, UK entrepreneurs and Russian entrepreneurs, oh, cultural really differences. And yeah. this is very valuable. Mm. You know, you, you can't get it from TV or anything else. It's just this human interaction that happened afterwards. Mm. And you've, you've spoken on the, on the BBC, Alina, about you know, how successful Russia has been at encouraging women to become engineers and get into the whole technology space. You know, that's something that I think we can learn from. I don't know exactly. if there's anything that you want to add about that. Well, probably you don't want to learn from the uh, world history mistake because that wasn't really um, natural. That was a re uh, that was the kind of outcome of the wartime uh, and also the Soviet regime where every I think it's actually a good thing because um, well, one of the good things is everyone was equal. So, yes, women were encouraged to be good wives and you know housewives, but at the same time, they I don't were quite. Know what, that is. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah, go on. But you know, even in my family, both of my grandmas, they were uh, leaders, both leading in finance. So, yes, it is encouraged, especially in STEM subjects. It's just me, even being in school, I've never been put a choice. If I'm a girl, I should be doing humanitarian subjects versus maths or physics. Sarah, that's a really interesting. Um, I've never even thought about that. But when you do think about Russia, actually, that was one of the positive things you do think is that there are a lot of women in those types of um, professions, actually. I need to make sure it happens in digital, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we can certainly learn from stories like this. Mm. Um, and I'm very encouraged by uh, other countries and, and their steps forward, particularly with the, the recent announcement of Iceland. Uh, passing the legislation um, for equality, which is fantastic. So, but the the whole Russian thing, um, it, 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 for me, it's fascinating. Mm. I, I was very lucky to study Russian um, at school, and I had a, a fantastic opportunity to study over there for a little while. And the impact was incredible because it was really eye-opening. Um, you hear all these kind of stories, but actually, you know, you get on the ground. It and a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful culture. Uh, wonderful music, wonderful arts, and um, really great uh, talent. And I think there has been a surge in tech. Um, Yandex is is a, an incredible story, and I really hope that there's more of them coming through. Quite frankly, I would like to share one more story. I don't know if these guys will be happy to hear that, but uh, the mobile banking that most of us are using here, Revolut, is actually wow. founded yes, by. Of course. Um, yeah. I I have Revolut. <laughs> I have Revolut. Yeah, exactly. My brother just is, is, might as well be paid by them because he just tells everybody he knows that they need Revolut. Yeah. And by the way, the Makers Academy, you know, the famous coding school here, is also founded by one of the Russian guys. And those are the stories we need to get in the press. Those, those are things that need to be talked about, I think. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much, Alina Bezuglova of Rutech Ventures. We're going to have a little break, and then we've got loads and loads and loads to talk about QBot. So we'll uh, be back in a few minutes. No surprise, darling. Something to celebrate. We've just got a very tasty government cash reward for innovation. All that blood, sweat and late nights finally paid off then. How come? Thanks to our buddies at Breakthrough Funding. Yeah, sorry, just slipped out. It all sailed through painlessly in no time at all. Over 40k, thank you very much, and the planet will benefit too. And new shoes for me? <laughs> Cheers. Your company could qualify for Innovation Cash too. Find out online now by answering just six qualifying questions at BreakthroughFunding.com. Yeah! 
And you're back uh, with the Tech Talk show. We've just been talking to Alina Betsuglova of Rutech Ventures. And I'm pleased to welcome Tom Lipinski and Dana Kivell. Have I pronounced that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely Sarah, have. Uh, of QBot. Now, um, Sarah Luxford and me had the great honour of judging the Tech Talk 22. We where we went through loads and loads of different amazing technical advances for 2017 and uh, we loved Cubot. that was that was almost definitely on the on the on the top 22 as soon as we looked at it um and it's a sort of robot but i'm going to hand over to tom tell me exactly describe because we're on the radio describe exactly what Cubot is um right well Cubot is a company that provides services in the construction sector um we do this using robotics and this probably what um, stands out straight away so people think oh it's a robot what does it do um, it started with trying to insulate homes right we we had no easy cost-effective way of insulating properties especially the older ones and um, we've looked at insulating floors and it was an impossible job um, so, so what would you normally do you, you, you so I'm only familiar with insulating a loft for example. Oh, yeah, that's easy. You which, go up in the loft and chuck stuff down. Yeah, but if you yeah. want to do it under your floor or in the walls and your house is already built, it's difficult. It is a problem, yeah. and, and especially because there's a lot of air that goes through your floor. I mean, if you think about how Victorian homes were designed, you had internal combustion, you had fireplaces where you were burning coal and so on. And these houses were designed to let lots of air in, so you just don't suffocate effectively. Um, nowadays, we don't have fireplaces or we generally don't use them, we've got boilers and so on, but the houses still do let lots of air in and that air comes through the floor. Underneath that floor you've got lots of brick vents around the house um, and there's just lots of cold coming in and it's not comfortable. And the only way you could do this beforehand was to remove your carpet, before you remove your carpet, get your furniture out, take the carpets up, lift the floorboards and then you lift those twisty timbers that hold everything up you have to take all the nails out and, and so on and then you somehow fit insulation between that and make sure it doesn't fall through um and then you put the floorboards back in you get new carpets you put the carpets in you bring your furniture back in and it's two weeks later and in most cases it costs you five to ten thousand pounds if you're some somebody like social landlord like housing association or local authority it's ten to fifteen thousand pounds because you have to move the people out. Yeah, right? is it is it financially viable? No, in the no. end, you're not going to bother, are you? Cost, <clears throat> cost effectively, it's in the realm of impossible because it's just so much money, right? Logistically, it's impossible because you can't move out, say, you know, two or three million people because this is how many people we've got in housing associations living in those types of homes. Um, so the only way to do it is to chuck something underneath it and make it work from below to insulate above and. Obviously, that's not an easy task, right? It requires quite a lot of hardware development and so on. And we set up the company um, in 2012. Um, personally, I have no clue about robotics. Right? <laughs> I come from an architectural background. Right? My um, idea was to make homes more efficient. That was it. Um, so it couldn't be done without lots and lots of robotics experts. Um, and, and Dana is one of them. Um, and over the years, we've developed hardware which is now capable of effectively being chucked under the house, insulating it in one day and leaving, and almost no disruption internally. And we've provided services, so we don't sell the robots, we actually provide services. We, uh, last year, we've been certified as the first company on earth that can deliver construction services using robotics. So it's not, it's not like, oh, look at this prototype, how nice, how nice it is. It's actually certified to work on site, right? Um, 
and we now have contracts which go into like two million pounds with you know a client for example where we work in partnership with them to insulate homes in volume because this is where robotics really opens up all of a sudden you don't need to throw thousand people at something yeah you can throw 10 or 20 teams at something and they could achieve similar outcome in a much quicker time and this is what we've enabled and so you've got a little robot effectively that goes underneath the floorboards sort of like that yes. for you well, that's just obvious, isn't it? I mean, why didn't anybody think of that before? <laughs> Ideas are really cheap. Yes. Most people have thought I was going to say, before. and then you go, well, how does that work? Oh, no, that's too difficult. I won't bother. <laughs> so so we were really struck, weren't we, Sarah? Because we thought that construction in particular, the construction sector, really isn't thinking like that. No. Actually. It's, 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 it's default position is, how do I send a, a guy in to make that happen? Yeah, there is so much opportunity in construction, so much yeah. opportunity. You only have to look around London to see the amount of new builds going up, etc. Mm. Even my home barrack road, and all you can see is skyscraper cranes, etc. So um, I, I think that uh, the construction industry could do with a lot more uh, yeah. innovation, quite frankly, around uh, uh robotics such as what you've produced it's incredible um i know that they've done um bits and bobs in terms of crowd management in in tower blocks particularly after uh, grenfell um however something like this where it's actually serving a need um and replacing labor um but also being able to reduce costs and secure um, and, a guarantee and, and it's environmental. Yeah, well. well. It's replacing labour we don't have. Yeah, because yeah, every construction company is screaming that they don't have the labour, they don't have the skill. Mm. All this, you know, talk about skill gaps and us importing bricklayers from Portugal for thousand pounds a week and so on. So this is not actually losing any of the jobs. It's enabling us to do mm. more. Mm. Yeah. and to do things we couldn't do before because, frankly, we just didn't have the labour available and we didn't have the money to throw it. Uh, and, Dana, construction's one of the, the, the most dangerous occupations in the world, uh, in every country. Absolutely. Uh, we're asking people to go up ladders and on roofs and, you know, construction sites. And it's dangerous. So so there's a, real, there's a real place, isn't there, for looking at how robots can help us with some of those things to, to, to make the, the work safer at, but taking Tom's point, it's not about replacing jobs, it's, it's about doing extra things. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as Tom said, said that there isn't, uh, this wasn't a job that was done previously before. So what we're doing is we're creating jobs and we're trying to make them as safe as possible. So these robots are actually operated uh, by a human. Uh, the robot is fitted with cameras and sensors and everything. So they're quasi-autonomous, uh, which means that they obviously still require some human interaction. Uh, and they're incented to these uh, very small, very confined spaces. Uh, underneath, uh, you've also got your services. So you've got gas pipes, electrical pipes. Lift shafts, you yeah. name it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is not really an area that you want to send people into uh, because it is very, very dangerous. Whereas sending in the robot to do the job uh, is, is, is exactly the answer. So, so Tom was saying that you're the robotics genius of of the, of the outfit. I, I'm one of them, absolutely. He's just, yes, he's just, stuck his, he's just stuck his thumb up. At I'll that. claim that. Thank you, Tom. So, so, how on earth do you start then? In your mind, it's all right, okay. We've got this real problem. How, how do you how do you start the process of, of work, working it out? So, I mean, it it was. I mean, when we first started, there wasn't a lot to go from. Uh, but it's all about kind of working out what the problem is and how we need to solve it. So it's taking the current technologies we have, uh, as well as some new ideas that we've got in terms of the technology and kind of combining it together, uh, integrating between, you know, software, electrical, mechanical, um, testing, 
Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, there's also a lot of smarts, you know, behind uh, mapping, surveying, SLAM, uh, all the different types of algorithms uh, which are involved, um, as well as yeah, interfacing all the hardware. So there is quite a lot. So, so where do you start then? Do you start with with the software? Do you start with the hardware? Do you start with it? You know, in your head. You know, what's, what's the easiest, you know, what's the way, or do you look at the problem and work your way backwards? What's your process? So my process personally is to look at the problem and work my way backwards. Uh, trying to work out, again, not reinventing the wheel where you don't need to. So taking uh, pre-existing technologies uh, and moving from that. Typically, we sort of start with the idea of how, how are we going to solve this problem? What do we need to do? So what sort of, yeah, mechanical uh, sort of, design would we need maneuverability so how are these things going to kind of maneuver under this environment uh, we go through all the different options uh, and then we really just start kind of bringing it all together so we get ideas from the software team the electrical team mechanical team to try and really bring it all bring it all in and then how do you test it so like you've got a little robot and then it's just crashed and it's not gone under the floor properly and uh, i mean it must be yes. i mean some of it must be quite funny but some of it must be soul destroying Constantly tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. I think the first job we did took nine people in seven days. Yes. Um, so it was definitely not an overnight success. <laughs> uh, at one point, I think we actually lost communication with the robot and it was kind of travelling under the void by itself and we kind of had to switch off the power. <laughs> Go uh, and find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, we, we've been around for a few years now, so we've kind of refined the design. We're up to our sixth generation of robot which means that we've kind of flushed out a lot of bugs. One of the biggest things is that we try to make them as robust and reliable as possible because the area that they're working in is, is um, kind of, you know, filled with rubble, filled with bricks, filled with dirt, all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, really ma about making them as robust and reliable as possible. Building on that, um, what are your growth plans? How big are you at the moment? How many employees do you have? Where do you see yourself in the next few years? Are you a scale-up that's looking to really grow much more dramatically if you can give us that perspective on who you are and who are your investors and all that kind of stuff um right so we're 25 strong 25. um so that's that's been quite quite um um quite a good growth for hardware company yeah. um we've actually got sales that support that team um although we are investing quite a lot of money into um a new r d um just to give you an idea about the scale um in the uk we've got about 15 million homes where we could insulate floors effectively. And so within those 15 million homes, there's, there's something like a 20 billion pound market while still saving about 50 to 70% versus the original cost. Um, you've got about 40 million homes like that across Europe, yeah, the Prussian and, 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 and all the architecture. Um, and that's just floor insulation. And we've already got a number of projects that move beyond floor insulation and the question the first question is can we save money can we do a better job can we do a safer job and if we can answer all of those questions as yes right we start a project yeah it takes years mm -hmm. to get there but we've already we quite late stage on two technologies that effectively expand the scope of what we can do and we've got some projects which are sort of very early stage and this is where a lot of focus goes because we can change so much in a construction industry. I mean, if you look at, you know, manufacturing, car manufacturing industry, right? I mean, what we do in construction industry is equivalent to you building your own car in your backyard with your ankle, effectively, and then somebody phones you up saying, oh, how many wheels do you want, you know? And, and then you're questioning your builders, like, do I really need a steering wheel? You know, this is, this is where construction sector is, right? And 
all the technologies have really moved on. And what we now have is, is technologies such as um, software and hardware have caught up, enabling us to really provide big change in the construction sector. And then we've also got the experience that we're building on. So it's it's definitely a scale up, right? We, we you know we we into sort of Siemens you know territory rather than rather than one product and, yeah. and, and concentration on that. But we're taking it slowly. But how, how are you going to yeah. do that, though? Because because it's such a great idea and, and you're making it work. It's practical. Mm. It does work. And you're delivering. And I think I think the point of Russ's question is, you know, you can go anywhere, really, mate. <laughs> um, and, and how are you going to, how are you going to scale? Uh, you know, because well, because your growth could, could it, explode. Yeah. It's a process of elimination at this stage. So we've got right. lots of arguments about markets. Yeah, and we meet with people from nuclear industry that say, oh, it's a great, you know, it's a great thing, we could really do that. And and you think, okay, well, how many customers do you get? One, mm, maybe not so great. So we have to actually be very critical about what we yes. choose Focus. at the moment. Yeah. So the key target at the moment is to provide more benefits to customers we already have because we already know these people, they talk to us, they know they can save money with us and so on. So expanding our services to a current customer base is a first step, right? Because it's a safe step. We know the market is there. Yeah? And then possibly moving sideways within the construction industry where we're absolutely certain that we can definitely save money. Day one, save money. If you can't save money straight away, don't do it. Yeah, because they're not going to invest to save, are they? They're not going to sort of lay out £10 million and then get that, that, that saving 5 to six years later they want it they want it quick oh, it's got, got to have it quickly yeah. we need to have a you know 18 month two-year time scale yeah we really have big multinational construction suppliers that actually want to develop things jointly with us and we're working on, on other aspects whether that's insulation or construction industry and so on and it is really exciting but we have to be very very careful that we have the market where we can save money the day we introduce the hardware yeah. Um, and presumably then the construction industry, a lot of the construction industry is based around pitching for work, pitching for jobs. They'll always be up against somebody else. So you don't get a builder in to build 10 houses without getting four or five quotes, obviously. Um, and a lot of these things are sort of tender processes. Um, you've got to get yourself in on that, that, that tender level, haven't you? So that when, when you're working with these construction companies, they've already built that into their, you know, into their programme of work. Yes, we, we, we have a few funny situations where we were contacted by... Um, large construction companies saying, oh, there's this tender for floor insulation, um, could we use you? And, and unfortunately, we, we've already been tendering for that, so it's not really yeah. sure how they could provide better value through us than us directly. Um, but we, we, we have taken part in tenders, and, and the approved contractor or mm -hmm. the framework contractor is the route that we need to follow, because once you are a framework contractor of a particular, say, uh, housing association, it's a lot easier for you to win work. So yeah. it's a lot less exciting at the bureaucratic level, but this is the level we got to where we have to look at the legals and, and getting onto a framework and mm. so on. So we actually work much close, much more closely with our clients. Um, um, and, and Danny, can, if I can turn to you again. So I'm very interested in the fact that you're a mechatronic design engineer. Yes, yes and, I am. And uh, this was in New Zealand, right? Yes, so I studied at Victoria University in Wellington. Uh, I finished my master's degree and then I actually moved to the UK uh, because I really wanted to pursue robotics. Um, 
which and I also love to travel which London is a great place but I knew that it was going to be a great hub uh, to kind of develop my career here and I, I joined QBOT fairly early on it's actually my first job out of university and I've absolutely loved it ever since it's been an absolutely amazing experience it's great to be part of a startup company and that, yeah the atmosphere is really good and how have you seen the robotics element of what, what's going on in London how have you seen that evolve and change over the time that you've been here because I, I hear something very similar so it'd be good to get your 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 hands-on perspective yeah I mean I think it's developed uh, lots really um, so in the last sort of I've been here for four years yes. uh, there seems to be more and more kind of startup companies more and more people getting into robotics um, it's I think it's just really really growing I think London is becoming a bit of a hub really or you know the UK in general uh, for that sort of thing especially in the technology region so right. Think, yeah. um, and what drew you to that as a, as a topic? I mean, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, studying Spanish or something? Um, so I guess as a child, I always just loved inventing. I, I loved to make things as long as I had cardboard boxes and sticky tape. I was really happy. I was more interested in the box that the toy came in rather than the toy. Uh, so I was always, from a very young age, loved to make and create. And I just kind of uh, got lucky in the degree that I selected. So I studied electronics and computer systems, which means that I do a bit of programming. Uh, which is great. Um, so yes, yeah, so I got. Re I just. I found my passion. I got lucky. You'd want to. Um, you'd want to poach her, wouldn't you, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when can you? Sorry, Tom. When can you start? <laughs> Should we talk later? <laughs> I know quite a few people who would want to poach you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, sorry, Tom. Not, um, so now over to you, Tom. So, so you you've got this more of a construction background, though, and as you said, it's really interesting that that actually you're from that more architectural built environment, um, and particularly you've always been keen on the sort of envir environmental side of it, haven't you? Um, and and going into this sort of thing. Why, why did you suddenly go over into this sort of digital tech space with it? Is it because, in your view, that's the way it's going and, and that's the only way it can go? I was desperate. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to put it more clearly, um, I've always been trying to make buildings work. Um, I've been struggling. The idea of retrofitting or making buildings more efficient and so on has been around for a while. Um, the, the main problem we, we, we've suffered from was the fact that the construction industry was applying s processes from new build into trying to do things uh, with existing buildings. Yeah. Uh, and it was insane. And the moment you, you realize that actually you've got a building that's already there, you've got people in that building, right? and then you're trying to... They're still oh, using yeah. the same processes as they would for a new build. Yeah, yeah. That, and then with didn't new think build, of you've that. got a plot. You know, you turn up a digger, you do whatever you like. Yeah? Your constraints are gravity and planning permission. Right? When it comes to existing homes, your constraints are infinite. And, and, and there came realization that you can't just apply processes from a, a, a new build construction industry trying to change our existing buildings and trying to actually make people use those buildings better. And the only way to, to, to do that was to actually develop new processes yeah, that can be used in existing literally buildings. Literally start from scratch, actually, in, in, a, th was, in yes. a thinking sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. And so how did you come across, did, did you realise that you're going to have to employ robotic you know, specialists? And how did you come across um, Elena, may I ask? Um, <laughs> well, it, it, it was that. So our, our first prototype, I think, was a converted golf buggy. 
um, which we just put a sprig on on top of that and, and, and let that, it let that it wasn't, work. That wasn't that was before it's, my time. Before yeah, my I was time. just watching just, your reaction just, from the corner yeah. of my eye. Um, <laughs> we, we do have Hall of Fame of all the previous robot iterations and so on, and the converted golf buggy is not there. I mm. um, don't know why. Uh, we 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 <laughs> tried so all sorts of things, and very quickly we realised that actually, you know what, this this requires a team of specialists. Yeah and a lot more work than, than we can do and this is how effectively the new company got set up. We managed to get some government funding, which is great, because uh, only government's mad enough to throw money at people with ideas. Um, and then we got going and very quickly we managed to build up a team, got some investment uh, and then built up them some more and um, failed a lot and then we started getting it right. Just trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. I heard a lot when working at Hardware Accelerator that hardware is hard. Where do you do all your manufacturing? Um. Oh yeah, you're, so we actually, our mechanical engineers, our team of mechanical engineers actually do the design. So we design it in a CAD software and we actually use our typically UK local manufacturing companies who we send out the metalwork to. So we get them to make metalwork and then the metalwork comes back in and we do all the assembly, uh, all the wiring and commissioning in-house. Uh, we've got a small mechanical workshop, so if there's alterations or for prototyping, we can uh, modify a few bits and pieces. But otherwise, yeah, we do most of our machining uh, UK. And good, good to hear. This year, we're moving into PCB manufacturing in-house as well, <laughs> so we can actually control the process. Yes. Yeah. We can build electronics in, internally. And I know you're trying to consolidate and under, you know all the things you've been saying earlier. But but if you if you do project yourself maybe five or six years into the future. Where do you think the robotic thing in the construction industry will go next? Um, it definitely won't look like a humanoid building a house. Right. Because if you could optimise things using robotics, you can move away from human constraints. I mean, we've learned to build homes, yeah, because we've got two limbs and two legs and we sort of six foot high. And our entire process evolved around that and it's two-dimensional. We just assemble things from you know, two-dimensional objects and glue them together effectively one way or the other. If you can move away from that... So, so you're saying that's our mindset and we're yes, constrained uh, by that very mindset? Much so. If we move away from that, we, we free up architecture and construction can change beyond what we could all, you know, imagine yeah. just because we're moving away from that six-foot humanoid with two limbs. Mm. No, four limbs. Ross, <laughs> that's just made my head explode. Well, it's true though, isn't it? Yes. Um, one of the things we said on the on the Tech Talk judging, Tech Talk Twenty Two judging, um, is that uh, the industry is ripe for disruption. Mm. I mean, it, really, it hasn't really been touched by disruption, has it? Construction, not really, really. No, no. And I think I think this is a great example of how we're going to see much more of this happen. And the interesting thing for me, listening to, to Tom and Dana, is you know how do we their approach in construction and think about the disruption that they're bringing to other industries as well. Mm. Because, I mean, obviously construction is perfect for this, but boy, I see this in many other areas as well. What sort, what sort of thing is immediately coming to mind? Well, I think, I think, you know, if you look at the hardware side of this, if you look at, you know, there's another example of, and it's completely different, uh, the name of the company escapes me, but it's a drone-based company that uses drones to clean solar panels in yeah. desert areas because they get very sandy and very dirty very quickly. So drones are being sent in to do that work 
forest. And you know, some of these places are pretty remote, they're pretty yeah, inhospitable. And so a drone can do that. And I guess a drone could be a variation of a robot to mm. a certain degree. So So I'm we've just, got to free our minds from from thinking it's got to be done by a person. Yes. Haven't we really? Although what I love about the Qbot model is that um, you know, the robot is really more the means to an end and yeah, it's yeah. sold as yeah. a service which is driven by human beings. Yeah. So when I talk to people about robotics and AI and machine learning, yes, some jobs are going to go away. We know that. But actually many more jobs are going to be created as we think about what is the human interface with the robot, with the drone, with whatever device we're using to actually do the task humans are not going to go away, but we're going to need humans yeah. to think differently, to think smarter, and coming back to our conversation earlier, be skilled up mm -hmm. in the right way to, to, to ask the questions, to analyze the problems, and to communicate around what that actually means. Mm -hmm. well, you see actually more and more hackathons for kids around drones, and um, we actually had one, um, one of the companies coming to London as part of Russian tech delegation this year is a drone company, mm -hmm. but they do two things. One, they teach kids, so it's a um, teaching te tech kit uh, where you can assemble a drone and then they run different hackathons teaching kids how to make one themselves, but then the uh, manufacturing part is where they produce drones themselves for agro and construction industry as well. And, and that's uh, where and we can use young people because they're not constrained in the thinking in, in, in no, quite that No, not, not at all. Oh, and the company grew, it doubled in size over this year. Mm. So just, just goes to show. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we've run out of time, as usual, as usual. Um, Alina Bezuglova, thank you so much. A really fascinating talking about uh, Russia and tech and some of the challenges there. And you're part of uh, Rutech Ventures. And if anybody wants to find out about that, it is rutech.io. So that's R-U-T-E-C-H dot. Io, but links will be from our website so go and check that out and thanks again to tom and dana from qbot and you can find out loads about qbot at q-bot.co have i got that right yes i have good and again that will be on our website so thank you very much to our um, studio guests fascinating stuff um and i'd like to say thank you to sarah luxford of tech london advocates women in tech thank you sarah Thank you for having me. That's all right. And thank you, Rush Shaw of Global Tech Advocates. Always a pleasure. Likewise, Sue. Thank mm. you. Lovely to see you. You've been listening to the Tech Talk Show and you know it's syndicated to dozens and dozens of radio stations across the UK and all sorts of other places as well. Um, if you want to recommend any future guests, uh, someone doing something groundbreaking in the tech sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter and that's on at Tech Talk Show UK. If you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to techtalkshow.co.uk and I hope you have a good week. Bye. <laughs>